Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, welcome again to the SC Talk podcast and what is our final podcast before the Teamless Tuesday one. And to get through this with our final list of teams we're going to be covering is a long-standing contributor to the site, former winner of Supercoach. And um, I'm going to start the banter already, mate. Just a whore of Supercoach. Wilfred, how are you? Good, thanks, mate. It's good to be back. It's been a while since we've had a chat, but yeah, it's always always good fun coming on to have uh, chat, chat footy, chat Supercoach and yeah. Banter, as you say, mate. You must be uh, a bit tired at the moment. I can see you all around the place. You're on multiple podcasts, getting yourself around. Just uh, you know, I mean, you're a man about town these days. Look, I, I guess uh, I don't really know what it is, but people seem to want to chat to me. So who am I to deny what the people want, right? Well, the catfish, the catfish man himself. He uh, dresses himself up as a beautiful blonde. Twenty-one-year-old uh, blonde and just makes his way onto multiple podcasts. That's how it goes, isn't it? Yep. And then they get the big reveal, and yeah, let's just say I never get invited back. <laughs> you get bare. He's <laughs> <laughs> still waiting to come back on. He's been hanging out in the chat with you guys. Oh, mate, we'll have him back on any time. That guy's a cracker. Anyway, we've got a, um, a heap to get through, um, and we did say off air before we're going to try and not make this an hour and, and a half podcast like the last one that I had on that that idiot JT. But I'm sure with you and your sensibility, mate, we're going to fly through these teams that we're we're going to cover. And there's four teams that you wrote specifically within the uh, the mega guy, and they're the Bulldogs, the Eels, the Sharks, and also the Titans. Two of those are just absolute stinkers this year, but the Eels and um, the Titans certainly have a, a uh, plenty of super coach options that we're going to cover in a great amount of detail coming up. But how about we just spend a little bit of time talking about the Mega Grind? And, and I think this is maybe your third or fourth time that you've been part of it and writing for it. How did you find um, writing uh, and contributing with these four teams? And, and you know, h- how's the process been and, and what have you picked up along the way? I think, yeah, thinking back, this is probably my third time doing it. So I feel like I've gotten a bit better and a bit more streamlined in the process. Uh, one thing I have found this time around, it's maybe because the teams that I got issued uh, weren't that exciting. So it was a little bit of a battle at times, uh, not not to disparage the teams, but I think we all know that not every single team is balanced super coach wise. Bloody Lakey, mate. Bloody Lakey. <laughs> That's all right. He took on he took on the lion's share of the organization. So who am I to, you know, to say no to him? So uh, yeah, look, I think for me, it was just good to dive in and because we didn't get to do it last year and we, coming back to doing it this year, you know, I don't mind a good uh, trudge through the numbers and the, doing the research. It's always nice to read up about players you hadn't really heard about. And I think that's one thing that Mega Guide's always been good for. It exposed you to all these names that you never really hear about. So when they randomly pop up on team lists, you're like, hey, I remember reading that, about, about that guy and or writing about that guy and it obviously means that it's much easier to, for you to kind of figure out, well, I remember that guy it was uh, a back rower. So you kind of figure, you know, when they suddenly pop up on the team list, well, you know, maybe there's an injury here or it, it, uh, that's that's how my mind kind of kicks in. So mm-hmm. I do enjoy it. And, and did you learn anything? Like obviously you've written about the those four teams, but uh, I'm sure you've, I think we you guys reviewed each other's work as well. So if you had like one or two takeaways from the mega guide um, that you, you know, was a bit of a shock to you, what would that be? Oh, that's a really tough question. I, I think what shocked me most was some of the numbers that I, I didn't expect to read coming out from the Bulldogs. Um, and, you know, it was such a, 
and then we'll probably touch on it later, but like Adam Elliott wasn't one of the names where I'm just like, I can't believe he actually went that well last year. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously he's in the, in been in the headlines for all the wrong reasons lately. So yeah, let's not go too much further on that one for now, but it's just, I think that's what it is. Like you, because the mega guide, you look about, you talk about every single player. So you look into their stats, you look into the numbers, and you just find all sorts of little nuggets that, you know, whether you write it or someone else does, I just find, I think that's the, the best part of the guide really. And obviously it's available still um, all the way through, but but specifically up over the next week where it's going to become really critical uh, for you to, to grab that guide, read every single player that's in the competition. I think there's over 140 players. You've got Wilfred himself, who's an expert, uh, won the competition previously, but also um, some great guys that contribute to the the website and know what they're talking about. Um, there's a reason why I didn't write this year, Wilfred, and it's because I'm not an expert, mate. So, um these guys absolutely are all over it. Uh, I think 14 bucks is the price and it's a cracking deal. And don't forget the 10% goes towards Movember. And I think we've raised over 600 bucks so far. So that's fantastic. Um, now, before we move on to the um, the latest news, um, maybe, mate, what are you doing? So you've obviously got your own podcast. Do you want to give that a bit of a shout out? Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I co-host my own podcast. It's the Supercoach Champions we do only talk about NRL Supercoach. Um, you know, we similarly, we, we record once a week or so. And, yeah, we we talk. Uh, I think we approach it from a bit more of a strategic perspective. Um, obviously, one of our little gimmicks was the fact that we've managed to, well, between myself and um, Guy, uh, the 2018 winner, obviously there's two former champions on it. So we like to think that we know a little bit about what it takes to, you know, to get things done down the business end. Um, doesn't mean that we obviously are any better at rating players or anything like that, but I think sometimes you know half the battle is the last few rounds, and I think like say even you look at last year, you had uh, Hamish who was the coach of Green Brick Ball. He led the competition for a long time, and you know I think looking back, and I'm sure he'll put up his hand and acknowledge that he probably made some mistakes in the final few rounds. So we like to think that. Uh, we could help by if offering advice um, to, to navigate some of those difficult, uh, more strategically, um, you know, strategically um, uh, difficult parts to navigate. So I guess that's what we try to do a little bit more, rather than you know talk about players and trajectory stats. And you know, there's a lot of great content out there. So yeah, now, that's, mate, that's what I do. There's one new member on there, and I'm trying to figure out how he actually fits in because you you are both ex champions. How does how does Joe Fitz end up on the the, the ex Super Coach Champions podcast? A guy that has really achieved nothing in Super Coach at all. <laughs> Look, I think um, part part of the issue is um, you know Bear is a busy man, and he's getting busy in his own personal life, and he's having uh, a second child. So I was going to be left uh, without a co-host mid-season uh so you know i obviously wanted to get someone who uh you say he hasn't achieved much but look he's been around for a long time he's uh obviously you know one of his big big things is he used to write the 10 commandments for the super coach talk site um you know one of my favorite articles for so long and you know i knew that he was i mean he's a professional he knows what he's doing so i thought it was a simple simple task to get the guy on board um i think you know he used to Obviously, help co-host the SE report back when it was him and Nick um, running running the show, <laughs> and uh, obviously, you know, had that prior experience obviously really helped. So Joe's been great. Um, it's good to have him around, and it's sometimes you know, between Bear and myself, sometimes we get a bit uh, sidetracked. So having Joe around has been a good to keep us on track. That's for sure. Smart move, I think. And we'll uh, just just to pull you back there. There was there was myself, Nick, and Joe. I can't believe I got left out of the picture, mate. Bloody hell. But no, he's he's um he's very good at what he what he does, and uh, being a little bit facetious before he um he uh, has a natural talent for uh, uh for the hosting, so it's a it's a pretty shrewd move by yourself. But yeah, so the Supercoach Champions podcast out there to go listen to it, and also ours as well. If you're not a subscriber, uh, go and subscribe, and all uh, just go straight into your feed throughout the season. You're going to be hearing uh, JT and also Lakey for the majority. I might pop in. Once or or twice, but but similar to Bear, have a fair bit going on at the moment, so I can't uh, jump in as much as I'd, I'd 
I'd really like to, but um, those guys are, are fantastic to listen to throughout the season. So now we're going to jump um, straight into um, the latest news, and I've got a few things um, jotted down here, Wilf, and I'm, I'm, maybe we'll start with the news that um, I think came out yesterday. It was today about Finucane being out with a calf injury. What's the um, what's the impact there for Supercoach? So obviously Finucane, uh, I think he's out for roughly six weeks, which might mean that he's going to miss about you know, four rounds potentially. So big news, I think. The big winners from that is obviously Christian Welsh, who might start at lock, or at least he's going to get bigger minutes, that's for sure. Uh, the other possible winner, there's obviously uh, Nelson Asafa Solomona, who finished the year last year uh, quite strongly, and also Tui Kamikamika. Um, it's, it's always hard to know what's going to happen with Tui. He started off last season quite good, and he had the bigger, bigger minutes then, and then... Uh, for some reason, I think maybe he had a back issue that troubled him most of the year. He only played limited minutes at the end of the season while um, Nelson was playing the bigger minutes. So it's going to be one of those two. Plus, I think Christian definitely is going to be you know one of the alpha forwards for the Storm alongside Jesse Bromwich. So that's obviously big news for them. Uh, the other obviously big news, um, and I'm sure you guys have covered it already, with Harry Grant being injured. Brandon Smith likely to, to take on the bulk of the minutes at hooker. But I just kind of think there might possibly be a like a fourteen, whether it's a bench hooker or someone who might take some of the time from Brandon from Hooker. Uh, that's my suspicion. I'm not sure, but yeah, I'm sure Teamless Tuesday will reveal all there. Tell you what, that's a, it's such a good side, isn't it? When you can see who they can just roll out to um, to replace uh, Granted Hooker and, and also bringing uh, Naz onto off the bench to start for. Um, or to, to push his way into into the starting side as well. So just such a tremendous side. Uh, Christian Welch, an interesting one. I've heard um, you guys speak about him. I think we spoke about him on our last podcast. Um, I mean, I, I think he's got, it, there seems to be even more talk about him today because of all the news about Finucane. I mean, I, personally, I probably am going to stay away just because I, I think that he's capped at his ceiling and, and, yeah, he could increase to maybe a 60 average player. But is that someone you want um, or would you would consider as a keeper at the end of the day in the front row? Um, for me, probably not. And at that price, I think it's just a little bit awkward. What are your thoughts? Yeah, look, whether he's a keeper by end of season, probably not. But I think... You know, even before the whole um, Harry Grant injury, and even with, especially with now Finucane out as well, there was a there was a potential that he was getting lower minutes um, from when he got eased back in. And then, you know, I, I think there was a potential that he could have been a little bit undervalued already. Once Grant was out and Brandon was going to play hooker, I think that that's what I put him in my team. I don't think he's going to be keeper. You're right there, but if we can pay, I mean, it's only four hundred fifty three thousand. So if we can pay a, you know, a low 50s average, if even that, uh, that that kind of price tag, but he pumps out 60 to 65 a week, I think I'll take that uh, for sure. And then obviously once the Nukin's back, whatever, I'd be looking to offload Welsh soon after that. I mean, we do have a, a limited number of trades though, mate. So you'd be comfortable to do that and then to, to ditch him after six weeks. Is that, that kind of the thing you were thinking about? I don't know if it'd be six weeks. It could even be eight weeks. Like I, I doubt Finucane comes back from calf injury and plays his full minutes, you know. So there could still be a bit of a transition and Welsh could still you know, get 50, 55 minutes for a bit longer and still pump out 55, 60 scores. And, you know, unless you've got an absolutely gun side by then, I, I, I'd be happy with the fourth reserve scoring 55 points. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a valid point. I mean, just... um. Going to NRL Supercoach stats right now to, to look at the price change calculator. It's you're gonna and maybe this is obviously the BEs and everything a little bit crooked and stuff like that. But um, you know I've got to around about round six, and if he's scoring sixty five, he's only going to increase in value to around about five hundred k. Um, so that's a fifty k increase in price. Um, and that was maybe the more the point that I was looking at it is is how. How much money is he actually really going to earn, and, and how long is it going to take him to get there? If he's a, if, particularly if he's just a, you know, a, one of the uh, more slower, uh, not a cow at all, but just a, a little bit of a plotter. Is, does it is that ceiling score in there that's going to see him really elevate in price quick enough? Yeah, look, I think it's a fair point. Um, at this stage, um, you know, we've got to save money somewhere, and like I'd rather go for a Christian Welsh as opposed to some of the other like the lower price guys that I think a lot of people are looking at, you know, the 
the Matt Lodges and those type of guys. So for me, I feel I think Welsh, I'd feel more confident, you know, he's gonna score well even if uh Vanuken's back and, and Grant's back by then. So it's not like he's gonna suddenly like I doubt he's ever gonna drop to 30, 35 minutes off the bench, which some of those other guys might. Yeah, and I mean, he had a really impressive finish to the season last year, so I can see the merit. And I guess it just depends on how we're shaping up for rookies next year, next week, sorry. And if there's not too many, then certainly someone like a Welch definitely does come into consideration. Let's move along to you, to um, our boys, the Broncos. There's a bit going on there. We'll start with some good news. Well, good news for you. I don't know. It could not be for others, but Anthony Milford looks set for, for round one. Um, so he's been troubled by a bit of injury. But there's still question marks over to who his half's partner is going to be. Do you think this is just a little bit of classic Kevy uh, mind games or um, genuinely could Brody Croft be the, the starting half come round one? See, the problem is we just don't know much about Kevy as a coach, right? We've seen him coach Origin. There's only so much you can do mind games-wise at Origin level. So I, I just think, yeah, I am a little bit worried. <laughs> I won't lie. <laughs> but I guess, you know, we'll just see what happens with the team list and we can't really, you know, there's only so much we can read into it, right? Mm. Well, he's got the the master coach, doesn't he, up there with him now, the, the guy that was uh, with Trent Robinson for a fair while and also helped Kevy Walters throughout the, the Queensland coaching period too. He's he's now shipped up permanently to help Kevy. So um, who knows? It could be, this could be all part of the, the mind tricks. We don't, we don't know. The other, the other news there is that Tessie New is uh, facing court tomorrow for what's been reported is relatively serious. Um, uh, driving misdemeanor, but I think um, as what you're saying, there's a statement out that um, he driving license uh, with no points left. Um, so maybe not. It's still a very stupid thing to do, but maybe not the full beat up that was being reported in the media today. Yeah, it's a tough one because I mean I think the Broncos club statement said he 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 told the club he was dri- he was he's going to appear in court. He was caught driving unlicensed, and it said due to demerit points. So. I mean, given he's so young, uh, I assume he's still a P-plater. So for that, for P-platers in Queensland, you only have four demerit points, and that's potentially one offense. So it's not like he's a serial offender, I don't think. But- no, it could, it's just a, a typical kind of uh, a career beat-up leading into the season. But um, obviously everything's alleged right now as well, but um, he should be right to go for round one, you'd think, is basically what we're trying to say. Still a stupid move, that's for sure. Very, very dumb. Very dumb. Uh, Jared Croker, it looks like he's all set to resume training now, which is um, which is good. I'm not sure what the super coach relevance too much of that is, though. He's kind of past his um, uh, best days. And then you got waiting, I think, which could have a little bit of uh, super coach ramification there. He, his injury did look more serious than I think it is. It, it seems from reports that he might miss the first round, but should be ready to go for maybe even the second. And and that kind of might end uh, the possibility of someone like a Jazz Tavango who people were potentially looking at, um, given that the lack of hooking options that the Warriors do have. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I don't think there's any point getting too excited. It certainly seems like from what the Warriors are saying and also what Gus Gould is saying, it's uh, round two is what they're, what they're expecting Egan to be back by. And then, mate, the biggest news of the day is that Joey Leilua is off the burgers. That's huge. For another, how many years in a row is it? It feels like, you know, yeah. The feel-good story of the day, just eating Oporto burgers by day, by night. Apparently, the uh, the Bondi was his go-to. I mean, I must say, I do love a good Oporto Bondi burger, but to have that night and day uh, and then repeat uh, every single day, that's a that's a challenge in itself. So, uh, Joey's off the burgers and... Um, yeah, he must be uh, lean and mean and ready to go for round one. So that obviously means we, we're going to pick him again, doesn't it? I learned my lesson last year. No go, not until I see something. But look, he's dropped 10 kilos, which at least he's not just off the burgers. He's already been off the burgers and dropped the weight. So that's oh. a little bit of credit to him there. Oh, good on him. Maybe I should get off the burgers as well. You would lose a little bit. <laughs> All right, let's just take a very quick break there and we're going to come straight into um, – the analysis of all the teams that you've contributed to this year's Maggie Guide. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right. Uh, Joe Fitz isn't on the podcast, but uh, we're going to be talking about his Bulldogs and uh, the studs. Uh, Wilfred. I could find none. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think pretty much it is. It's it's slim pickings at the Bulldogs, unfortunately, for Supercoach purposes. So. Yeah, it is, in, is indeed. Well, I've got four guys listed here as, um, you know, players that, to think about, um, Not definitely not studs, but not the duds and, and players that we maybe want to consider as part of the Supercoach side. And we'll run through those. I'm happy for you also to, to add in. Uh, one or two options as well. But let's start um, with the guy that really broke out last year, uh, favourite of uh, the Young Legends League for sure, Jake Avarillo. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on him? He, he really looked good last year. It seems that he's going to be partnering up Cole Flanagan uh, in the halves this year. However, it does look like he's, he's going to lose the goal kicking to the, the new recruit. Um, I think you rated him maybe a B in the mega guy. What, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, the, the rating was prior to finding out he'd injured his elbow. So that's probably dropped him down a little. He He's apparently still on track potentially for round one. So, uh, I mean, maybe he's like borderline B, C. Like, I think he's a great price. Uh, we saw only two games from him last year playing in the halves, like in, in the six. And I liked what I saw basically on the field. And he wasn't too bad on the stat sheet either. So basically, I, I just think, you know, the potential's there. He's going to have an important role in the spine. And you know he's a he's a ball runner, and he's he's shown across all his games playing in the centers, playing in the halves. When he runs the ball, stuff happens. Uh, I'm not going to compare him to like a Cody Walker or something like that, but there are shades of it in his game. Um, so I, I quite liked it, and and I think he could score quite well. And being like 330 odd, uh, and in the center wing with the dual position, yeah, I'm pretty keen. It just would have been perfect if he didn't get hurt in the weeks leading up to round one. Yeah, I don't think I'll start with him, um, but he's certainly a player that would not surprise me at all if he just had, you know, turned into a 600,000 player. Um, I think he's got the skills and attributes to do it uh, and something very exciting for Bulldogs fans to uh, to look forward to in the future. The next guy on the list is Jack Hetherington, so another new recruit. He, um, uh, with Thompson out, I think until about round six, I was trying to find that today, but it seems that he's going to be missing for the first five weeks. Correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but um, that five, he's back. Back in round five, okay. So that, that should be a good thing for Hetherington. Does it, does it, is that what it means? Well, I think he's going to be the starting prop alongside Dylan Napa for the first four weeks. Um, and the word is Josh Jackson will be playing lock. So between those three, uh, I think, you know, that if Napa plays 40 to 50 minutes, um, Josh Jackson, I, I guess, based on 2019 when he played at Lock, he was getting around 60. So Hetherington, you know, there's there's not much else in the pack, basically. So Hetherington could get between 40 to 50 minutes himself. So uh, he's cheap. I think he's around the 285 mark. So he should, I mean, his, his PPM in the past hasn't been flash. But if he's getting 45, 50 minutes, he could give you a 45. You know, forty-five-ish score, give or take, and yeah, like I don't love Hetherington. Don't get me wrong, but I can see why people are interested. And it's a really awkward price, isn't it? I can remember back a few years ago. Well, basically every year there seems to be um, those um, prop forwards priced between the two hundred and fifty to three hundred k mark, and and they seem to be relatively popular, but. I would say um, that majority of them don't really go on to being a, a fantastic cow, um, just because if they don't might not get the minutes we want them to, or they're just not earning cash quickly enough. Because you really do need, if they're not basement priced, you need that one or two big games. I think it was a few years ago with Dylan Arpa got maybe a ninety point game or a hundred point game or something with a try, and that kind of really saw his price take a a good boost up because he, remember, he was priced relatively similarly as well so um it could work out really well as you said but likewise he you know he might hover around 350 mark and then you're really kind of stuck between nowhere um 
Mate, let's move on to the uh, these two guys. We can probably talk to them together. I know you covered um, Adam Elliott a little bit and how you surprised with his numbers, but he looks like he might be shifting out of the lock position this year to um, to the edge. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that seems to be all the reports. Like I said, Josh Jackson seems to be the one who's going to play lock. Um, when I when I said I was surprised by Adam Elliott's numbers from last year, he played about eight games thereabouts at lock. And I think if you take out the injury-affected game, he was, he was average would have been about 65, which yeah, it's way more than I expected for ever from Adam Elliott. But yeah, he's back on the edge. And you know, from what I understand, he's not obviously in the good books, so to speak. So I, I would be very wary of any, you know, I'd just be staying away. Not, I mean, it's pretty easy to stay away in Classic, but like even if you're looking at him for draft or whatever, I just think that you're better off picking someone else. And what about Josh Jackson? Is there any value there now that he's playing at lock? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think, you know, Josh Jackson, his his best footy is past him, but I still think lock could have been a decent, decent spot for him. And I just think with what he's able to do, um, you know, he is a workhorse. Like when he's on the field, he's 100% effort. So he could make plenty of tackles. And I think what we saw last year is that middle defenders um, you know, the hookers and the locks often actually got a bump in their PPM just because there's more tackles. Um, I think we did a bit of this, like we, we did a bit of this analysis on the on the Champions podcast, but uh, we basically worked out that a lot of the time what happens is when they get the, the six again, um, the, the hooker might run uh, from dummy half or they might just pass it on to a prop for like a one-out hit-up. So it's all in the middle of the field. They're not spreading the ball wide. So it's just... They might get another six tackles, but the first three are just props hitting it up. And so, you know, if you're defending, you'll get another couple of tackles and it's all in the middle of the field. So you might get another two or three tackles in in the space of a minute. So it's, yeah, it's it's interesting. So guys who are shifting to the middle, I think, can see a bit of a spike in, in, in their PPM. So obviously that's Josh Jackson. I just think, like, I don't see him being able to play more than 60 minutes at best. Um, just uh, look, obviously he's a bit older now. So yeah, that's, that's the interest I would have in him. So he's probably on the price, but similar to what you said before with like, say Christian Welsh, like he's not going to be a keeper. So there's only so many of these guys that you can start with him in your team and then you're going to have to spend a trade to get rid of later. So yeah. Guns rookies, mate. Guns rookies as much as you can has always been the go if it's possible, but we'll see how many genuine rookies we have this year. The you know a late addition to the run sheet I can see you've just put down is Kyle, Kyle Flanagan, new recruit. He's a relatively expensive. What's tickling your fancy there? It's not. Um, I'm actually I put him in there because I wanted to talk about how I'm not that keen on him. <laughs> it's more just I've, I've heard some people talk about you know wanting to. Ex- to take the risk on him, they think he's going to step up as the as the primary, uh, you know, primary half, uh, and you know, they just think he's going to go well. Basically, I'm I'm a bit off it. Like he scored most of his like a chunk, a large chunk of his 59 average from last year uh, from being the Roosters goal kicker. I think I looked into it, and basically the the Roosters had almost twice as many goal kicks than the Bulldogs had all season. So, you know, if, if half of those goal kicks aren't there anymore, it's 16 points per game, you know, let's say maybe they drop to eight. Like that's a huge dent from his average already. And obviously he's playing for a low, lesser lesser attacking team. So the, the number of tries he could be part of uh, might go down. So I, I'm basically suggesting definitely stay away for those considering him and wait and see. Like if he does look like he's playing both sides of the field and the Bulldogs look like they can genuinely be a, a decent attacking team, then yeah, maybe you take a take a punt on him later, but I, I would definitely wait and see. Fair enough. All right, ten minutes on the Bulldogs, mate. Ten minutes, I'll never get back in the rest of my life. Let's move on to the Eels because there's certainly a bit more interesting players to speak about here, and I think we're both big fans of the first stud on the list, and Nathan Brown. Um, I own him last year. Did you own him? And, and I, I think you've also labelled him as a B, or you've rated rated him a B in this year's Mega God. Is he someone that you're you're looking at maybe um, picking? Because I, I couldn't imagine that he'd be one of the the more popular options at the moment. Yeah, I just think like the. I mean, I love watching Nathan Brown play. He's he's so like interesting as a player, and stuff always happens around him. You know, whether he's being challenged by someone else and. You know, gets in a bit of a a scuffle or whatever. Like he's always an entertaining player to watch. Um, I think 
you know, we saw at the back end of last year, he really, his PPM really jumped up. He was getting decent minutes and consistent minutes. So yeah, like I quite like him. My only question mark is, and it's come from recent reports from, uh, from Brad Arthur apparently wanting to give Junior Paulo lots of minutes. So I'm wondering, you know, where does that come from? And obviously Dylan, um, sorry, obviously Nathan Brown's probably the one of the losers potentially there. If he, if Junior Paulo is going from from his, uh, you know, potentially averaging 65 or even 70 minutes a game, like I think Nathan Brown might be the one who has to you know, give up some of his game time for that. So if that happens, then obviously a big issue for Nathan Brown there. But, you know, if he's getting good minutes like he did last year, I mean, anything from 65-ish, I think he's a he's going to potentially average 70 and that's obviously a good good average for the second row. Now, the, the, we're going to move to the fullback position now and, and maybe while we talk to Clint Gutherson, we can also cover off Mitchell Moses at the same time because from everything that I've read and and, uh, and heard, it seems like Gutho loses the goal kicking and Moses gains the goal kicking this year. What... What, is that correct? And, and what's the uh, overall impact on, on Supercoach output for both of them? Let's start with Gutherson. Um, so Gutho, he was goal-kicking a while back, so it, he, didn't, he didn't have it last year. Uh, it was just, I think, his best Supercoach season, he was also goal-kicking, and it was also when he was playing 5-8. So for him, um, up until last year, he had a really, really strong 2020, and a lot of it came after the, the, the rule change. So... If you look at his average from round three to round uh, 20, he was actually, um, you know, like quite, quite good. And I think if you look at the first eight games in particular, after the, the COVID break in round three onwards, he averaged 88.4 points per game. So he's obviously, you know, got the ability to come out and start really, really fast. And I think when the Eels are going strong, it's often off the back of a, you know, a consistently strong performances from Gutho. It's actually quite interesting though. Last year, I've just had a look at that average now. So, first uh, 10 rounds, 77, then dropped off in a big way. Uh, 56 average from rounds 1 to 18, but then from rounds 19 to 26, picked it up again for 86. Do you remember what happened there, or was that just really flying with how the Eels were going over that um, period of the season? Yeah, I think that's just a bit skewed because those um, the graphs. I mean, because we only had twenty rounds last season, so the nineteen to twenty six is really just two rounds, nineteen to twenty. So yeah, uh, fair enough. Yeah, yep. that that's probably just um, skewed it a little bit. But I just think it came back to the Eels started really, really fast, and they couldn't keep it up. I think their draw got harder in the middle of the season before it it got a bit easier at the end. So that in a, in a nutshell, I think that's all it was. Um, so the Eels, I think, uh, are just a bit of a flat track bully, honestly. Um, and I think that's a big, big reason that they can do, um, you know, put up big scores when they have the easy draw. And I mean, the Eels have a quite easy draw to start this season as well, uh, starting with the Broncos, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, I don't mean to sidetrack this at all, but I don't, I don't know if you've, um, obviously you've spent a lot of time on the NRL Supercoach stats site, but um, I think one of the great features on there is the, the tweet section uh, for the players. Um, if you scroll right down to the bottom right-hand side, and I'm uh, just looking at Clint, Clinton Gutherson's tweets um, over the past year or so, and and one of the ones which I think stands out for me is to say, um, haven't been on Twitter in a year, let's see how it goes. And then just reading his tweets above that, I think, well, maybe, Gutho, you probably should stay off Twitter, mate. That's some, some pretty atrocious chat happening after that, I think. I don't think I want to know what's going on. I think I'll just stay away from that. <laughs> oh, bad humor. That's all it is. Um, all right. Mitchell Moses, uh, sucker punch, isn't he? Like, surely we just, just never again. What are your thoughts? I think it's tough because the, all the, all the chat this year is, um, you know, Moses and Dylan Brown are swap sides and if it Matto and Sean Lane also swap sides. So you've got Moses and Matto lining up on the left and Gutho prefers to go left as well. So, I mean, the left edge for the Eels was the money edge last year. That's where they got a lot of their points. And I, I genuinely feel like that that could happen again this year. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, Moses definitely scores worse when Dylan Brown's in the team. But the thing is, like, he, I mean, he, he's basically at his floor, I guess if you want to call it that, based on how he scored in the last two years. So I don't think Moses would go down in price. It's just a question of whether he's going to go up in price or not. So I, I actually don't mind Moses as a shout because I think if you find like the the, the 
this backup halfback position. I mean, pretty much everyone's got Nathan Cleary for the primary halfback, but the second spot is really tough. And I kind of think that um, Moses is a decent shout for one of them, basically. So, yeah, I don't, I don't hate it. Uh, there's a lot of question marks there still, though. Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of put, and maybe it's unfair, maybe it's not, but I kind of put Moses um, and Milford and uh, Morgan and all those guys in, in the same kind of bracket of, um, you know, the value's there, but the value's there probably for a reason. Um, and, um, yes, they've had glimpses in the past of showing um, an absolute incredible ceiling super coach wise but um, I'm just uh, I think there's better options and I appreciate them, that Moses is only available at halfback, but... Um, yeah, that's, I'll probably just be staying away just on, on those thoughts, I think. Um, let's move along to a guy that I know that you're very high on, uh, Ryan Madison, who has clearly has started, has had two cracking years back-to-back. Uh, I know I've got a little bit of a a, um, a, a stake bet going with Lakey on, on this one as to whether I think I've gone under 65 for the first. I don't know. I need to go back to the chat to see what the, the rounds were. But I know that you're clearly on the overs there. Um, is he in your side? Yeah, he was one of my top picks, basically. Um, I I do feel a little bit more nervous than I was when I first picked him, and that's purely off the back of what we saw in the last trial, which was them swapping sides. So with Matto now on the left um, side of the field, it's it's just more that we just don't know what it's going to look like across the season, uh, whereas we've seen exactly what he does when he's on the right edge with Moses on the right. Um, so, yeah, it, I still think he's going to be a stud. He does a lot of his defending in the middle, which like we identified last year, it's a really good um, section of the field to be making tackles in. Uh, it'll just definitely up his base. So he's just he's just ridiculously consistent, right? I think just the fact that he, he just kept scoring over 60 so often, I think if I'm not mistaken, only just the one time um, below below that 60 mark. So it's just incredible consistency. I mean, even if you have a look at what he's done since 2017, uh, averages 48, 56, 67, 75. I mean, that, that progression is just tremendous. So you bang on there. Um, I mean, my, my state bet was just really to be making state bet, but I also kind of think that, um, there's, there's going to be one, there's always one or two second row premium second row forwards from the year before that drops off a little bit and does recover, um, over the, the second half of the year. We've seen that with the likes of a, a Jake Travojevic previously as well and some other players. But um, um, I, I'm actually inclined to say that he will probably be in my side for uh, for round one just with some question marks over a few of the other big guns as well. So I can see the merit in people um, spending the big cash and bringing him into the side. Um, let's talk about two other guys that we're going to uh, – three other guys we're going to discuss at the, at the Eels versus Dylan Brown. Have spoken about him before. I mean, for me, I think there's probably – it's hard to pick him – just with the other options you've got in the halves, what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I can certainly see why everyone is all about Cody Walker after the Charity Shield and obviously Cam Munster is an absolute stud and um, for Supercoach as well as on the field uh, for NRL as well. But Dylan Brown is like tailor-made for, uh, for, for Supercoach. Hey, he's such a ball hog and we know that's really good. And he's a ball hog that likes to run the ball and bust tackles. And I think that that's a recipe for Supercoach success and I mean, it's a big reason why he's got such a strong base. Um, his floor basically is, is, I mean, it's massive. Like for, for a non-goal-kicking half, for his lowest score to be 35 um, with no attacking stats in there, that's, that's huge. So, you know, he consistently scores 40s to 50s without any sort of major attacking stats in there. So the, the moment he gets that one try, so he's hitting 60-plus. So Dylan Brown is like really, really good in that sense. But I don't like the shift for him. He looked really clunky. Uh, and look, it's probably going to even out and, and get better as the season goes. But I, I'd have to stay away from him for round one now that they swap sides. And moving on to Junior Paulo, there's um, been some whisper around, or maybe it was just something that, that Arthur had kind of said just um, off the cuff, but um, mentioned that uh, the Paulo is definitely able to play 65 minutes. Um, that's a bit more than what he played last year. Is he coming to your calculations at all? Um, I mean, look, the, anytime you hear of a forward playing that many minutes, you're always going to be interested. I just think, like, even if you look at his scores from last year, once he played the longer minutes, his PPM dropped. So his averages didn't specifically go, you know, higher during those games. It's just when you're on the field that much, like, you're going to get through work eventually. So it, it, it makes him safer. 
because there were games where he only got like 40 minutes or so because the eels blew them out and or he was struggling with a back issue and spasms or whatever it might be. So if he's on the field and playing big minutes, it's only going to be a good thing for him. I think the quote something was something along the lines of, uh, I think Brad Arthur said, um, you know, Junior could play 65, 70 minutes standing on his head, something along those lines. So it was interesting. I don't know where it came from, but, yeah, I, I, for me, he's he's on the watch list. I'm not going to start with him. I just think there's better options if you're going to pay up at front row forward. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's where I'd go. I mean, just to what you were saying before about the PPM, his PPM was actually the best it's been last year at 1.2, and then the years before that it was hovering around about the 1.1 mark. So whether that's he's gathering some fitness or, or what it is, I'm not sure, because his minutes per game also increased too. So potentially he does have the motor and it's just taken him a few pre-seasons to get that sorted out. Um, interesting one for me to watch this year, but I think I'd be going with one or two of the other guys ahead of him. Uh, and then uh, let's move out to the wings then. So Fergie and also Sivo. Um, Fergie in particular to me seems uh, like a really solid, solid option or someone that people might be sleeping on a little bit. He's underpriced at sub 400K and we know that he's previously been a gun. Obviously last year he just couldn't score a try until very late in the season. Um, what are your thoughts with him? I think, and you you know this better than me, but I, I think now that he'll be playing on the same side as as um as Maddo and 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 uh, Moses is that correct? So Fergo's on the right wing, so right, yeah. that's where I'm. Like a lot of the issue last year was Maddo and Blake. Like the ball never made it past them, and Maddo, you know, he just tucked it under his arm and and hit it up and throw the offload sometimes. And then Wonga Blake, you know, he just kept cutting back inside the field rather than passing out to Fergo. So that was part of the frustration. Uh, whereas on on the other side where Sivo he scored. I mean, Sivo's average dropped, but he still scored about 15, 16 tries, whereas Fergo, I think the big joke was he was trialless from rounds 1 to 17. So mm. I think Fergo finished the season with maybe three, which is still really low for him. He's usually hovering around that 10 mark. Um, like I said, though, I don't like the swap for, for Dylan Brown. Like He doesn't pass much. A lot of Sivo's tries actually came via um, Gutherson as opposed to Dylan Brown. I think even... If I'm not mistaken, Sean Lane actually threw a try assist to Sivo, uh, more more try assist than Dylan Brown did. I could be wrong, but it was the alley oop he used to throw all the time. <laughs> so it that I, I kind of like um, I liked Fogo more until I found out that they'd swapped sides. So I've actually since taken Fogo out of my team. I, I was a bit more keen to start with him, and I just think with Sivo, he just doesn't look quite right. I don't know what it is. Like since two years ago, like Sivo was huge like two years ago he was just killing people and i think he, he almost killed james Tedesco last year but that was just one little flash like for the most of the season he wasn't running people over and and i think that's part of the issue with sivo he's hardly busting tackles his work rate has dropped so unless he fixes that up i'm kind of really not interested so i'm, I'm as much as the eels have a great draw to start i'm kind of not that keen on either winger basically good chat mate um, that's I was thinking about Fergo. Maybe you've uh, you've turned me off him. So um, appreciate that. Let's move to the Sharks and the final team. Oh no, the second last team that we're going to cover. But there's pretty much nothing to speak about here. So we, I think we'll cover these guys really quickly. Two guys listed. One started. Sure, Johnson. He's injured. So let's not um, focus on him. Probably the one main guy that people are, are talking about purely down to price and also the 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 backup five eight position or backup half position is very tricky this year. Matt Moylan, um, I mean, the, the only risk really for me that I can see is is injury because if he's not injured, he's going to earn cash. What are your thoughts? Yeah, look, on paper, I think that, that kind of makes sense. If you think back to his average, like 2016, 2017, I mean, yeah, you're playing fullback then mostly and sometimes in the 5'8 position, but he, he was busting out 60s for fun. Um, but with with Moylan, like even last year, and I, I know it's a very small sample size because – he just hardly play any games. But even from his four games playing 5-8, he only averaged 29 points per game. And like even if you compare his bench scores, like he came off the bench and he scored 28 points just making tackles and runs and stuff like that. And then when he played fullback, he still averaged 28.3. So like he just wasn't scoring very well, basically. So I, I, on top of the fact that I just – I don't know how the Sharks are going to go. I'm worried for them because they don't have SJ. Sean Johnson was a huge part of why the Sharks made the eight last year. 
he was playing so well. Uh, and obviously that was also reflected in the super coach scores. So I'm quite worried for the Sharks. And for that reason, I mean, if Moylan, you know, he doesn't fire, like if he fires, then sure, you know, maybe he's going to be the one who steps up and takes over the creativity from Sean Johnson. He's a the reason they score all the points, but I just, you know, I haven't seen it. And I just think there's other cheap options in the five eighth position that I'd rather pay up a little bit more money for basically. I reckon they've got a really good chance of finishing on the bottom. Just having a look at that that squad and the project, predicted starting 17 that, that you've put forward there in the money, in the uh, mega guide. Oh, yeah, it is the money guide as well. Um, it's shocking, hey? Like, they've brought in Aiden Tolman. Um, great. Um, there's really not much going on there, is it? Like, seriously? Like, it's a pretty – you've got Josh Dugan in the centres, talent and class, but always injured. And you've got Will Kennedy at fullback. Not much going on there. Jesse Ramian is here nor there. Um, you've got Moylan and Townsend in the halves. It's a very weak halves combination. And then you've got Tolman and Woods starting prop. Again, you've got old men there. They're not going to do much. And then you've got Wade Graham who won't play many games in a row. And you've got some serious talent um, behind him in Nicarima, oh, sorry, Nakora and Rudolph. But um, after that, it's a really – people are bagging the Dragons, bagging the Broncos for obvious reasons. But – that is pretty pathetic squad on looking at it on paper. I mean, um, you can't quite see this because with the, the predicted finishes, I mean, we, we, we combined our rankings basically to pick that. Uh, my personal ladder, I had Sharks 15th, so I do share your concerns basically. Well, that's nice, mate. That's good. And, yeah, they've obviously lost their best player for the moment and just, yeah, it's just not much coming through there. So it, I do hear what you're saying about Moylan, but – um, if there's no other cheapies coming through, I mean, if there's Lockle Lamb or Sam Walker or one of those guys, if it's still a bit tricky between them, then we might we might have to pick a Moylan and just ride it and, and hopefully he scores a try or has a couple of try assists here and there because without Johnson, someone's going to have to do it. Yeah, look, that that's what I mean. Like on paper, it, it should make sense. But like what we've seen on the field, like even last year, Moylan just didn't look all right. Maybe that was the injury um, or the injuries he was carrying. Uh, yeah, like I, I'm happy to pay a little bit more. Like uh, I've I've got Lachlan Lamb in my five eighth position at the moment instead of Moylan or anybody else there. So that's what I've got. Yeah, I will be going the exact same way if he gets the starting nod for sure. Um, just in that Rooster side, I can see him scoring plenty of points. Uh, let's move along now to a side that is extremely hyped up at the moment. The Titans. Um, they've they've recruited fantastically. Um, over the uh, the off season, and uh, let's start with a couple. Or actually, let's start with um, a guy that's been there for a while now, Alexander Brimson. Would you say he had a breakout year? But it was always the year that was it was coming. And and do you think that that he can continue that and, and really elevate himself to absolute elite status for uh, in Supercoach? It's interesting you put it that way because I think the way I've heard him spoken about, like everyone already considers him almost at that elite status. like, And this is off the back of nine games in 2020. And look, he, he was absolutely electric. I, I, won't, I won't deny that. And he carried it on, And even though it was only just for a little bit of time in, in origin. But he looked really, really good. And I'm not doubting that. I mean, he seems like a super talent. It's just his body hasn't been able to hold up the way he plays footy. And that's a lot of my concern for him as well. Like he, His injury was a Liz Frank injury. Which and, and you, you you obviously know a lot about NFL fantasy yourself. I'm sure you've heard how often like wide receivers who get list frank injuries they really struggle like to to get back and it takes. Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard that all the time. It takes away a lot of their you know ability to stop and change direction and because they you know it's so hard for the bones in the foot to heal as the blood hardly gets there. So a lot of those things worry me. And I mean, he's apparently training, but even. Like through the preseason, like he was on a reduced load because he'd get extra rehab and extra attention. So maybe that's how the Titans going to, you know, wrap him in cotton wool, keep look, look after him that way. But look, certainly the super coach potential is there. Um, for me, it's, it's too risky and there's too many other better options. I feel safer options at the fullback position. 
uh, if he was available at 5'8", I would have taken a punt, that's for sure. Oh, I was thinking that. I mean, we, we basically just wasted our time talking about him because he's only available at fullback and there's plenty of other guys that are, you know, there's four guys there that I think you can really pick from. Um, two of them are injured at the moment and, and Brimstead falls behind them. If he was available at 5'8", like he has been previously, then yeah, he'd be absolutely a guy that I'd be looking to maybe partner with a Munster or a, a Cody Walker uh, as a genuine option this year because he's definitely got the talent. Let's uh, let's move on away from Brimson then, and let's talk about Big Bad Tino, who's moved up from uh, the Storm. Uh, I think he's in over fifty or close to fifty percent of all teams at the moment. But and people are talking: is he a hype player, or um, you know, just a guy that's not going to uh, perform uh, like that that ownership? But I mean, he averaged seventy points per game in the final ten games of the season last year, and he's priced around about a fifty-six average. So. Um, you can understand why he's super popular right now. Are you? Is he in your side? He wasn't up until uh, yesterday. So I rejected a few things and I found a way to get him in. It's more so because of the ownership. Like I, mm-hmm. it's just so high. And you kind of have to, don't you? Well, I just that's the thing. Like I kind of feel he could be one of the guys that you skip because I mean, what's his ceiling like? At, at his best, I mean, is he going to average 80 or 90 like a Tedesco or someone like that can quite easily do? I don't think so. But, you know, if you're paying 505000 and he still churns out a 75 or 80 average for a couple of weeks, that's still going to hurt you. So, like, I, I, I felt like last year I really suffered from, you know, trying to be a bit too cute and I, um, you know, Appy Coruscant was such a popular buy at the start of the year and I thought I'd go Damien Cook instead and that obviously burnt me big time. So I, I, maybe it's just like, you know, uh, lingering shadows from last year. So I'm. Well, what, what, okay. So what, if, what average would Tino score that you would be uh, disappointed with? What, like, what would you, based on your expectations, what would disappoint you? Well, he's priced basically at a 57 average, right? So that's off the back of only playing 46 minutes a game from last year. And sure, a lot of the reason he averaged 57 was because he scored a bunch of tries. And, you know, everyone talked about the fact that it's probably Cam Smith who put him in those positions and he won't have Cam Smith now. But I think, you know, we saw in the trial, like, he doesn't need Cam Smith. He can do it himself. And that, that's scary. Like, the Titans have a really friendly draw to start this, to start the year. And if Tino just gets one or two of those tries, like, he could easily hit 60, 65. So for me, I'd be hoping to see a 60 average as a minimum and you're not paying for a 60 average straight up but you know if he's getting say 55 or even 60 minutes at his ppm plus the potential of um you know attacking stats and apparently he's uh been he's been on record saying he might actually be able to offload more because apparently bellamy didn't allow him to pass Mm. uh, or offload so like there's a lot of potential there and again if he comes out and brains it for 46 or 47 percent of the competition you know, it's going to be a, a, it's going to really hurt. So that's why I've found a way to get him in. And I, I don't like it, but I think, yeah, it's probably safer to have him rather than not to have him. Well, I mean, the way I, I kind of simple it down is the people are getting excited about Christian Welch, right? Um, and I think that if he went on to average 60, people would be over the moon. And, and, and Tino is, is 50K more expensive. And we all think that he can average between. 65 to 70 and the point of my question was that you know if he does every 60 do you think that's a disappointment um, whereas if if Welch averages, averages 60 people are going to be jumping for joy and saying this is fantastic so I just think that um, if you put it that into perspective like that it makes a bit of a no-brainer selection for me given the ceiling that that Tino has is far greater than than Welch um, the 100 point game is going to be there absolutely will be there and and he will very confident that Tino would be over 650k at some point in the season. Whereas Welch, I can see, is being more of a plotter. Yes, 50 grand more expensive, but in the way that Supercoach is going and and the the way that you need to generate points quickly, I think a, a player like Tino just has to be in your side. Look, I I think that's a, a fair point. So, like I said, I've found a way to get him in, and we'll have to see how that goes. <laughs> Excellent. Let's move along to David Fafita, who. Um, uh, it's very it's painful for us, isn't it, mate, to see him in the the Titans colours? But um, uh, I guess if you're not picking Tino, then you might be looking to pick uh, Dave Fafita because he potentially offers a similar kind of upside. Um, however, I don't see him in. I'm just going to bring it up now um, because I haven't done this research yet. I just want to see 
um, how many sides David Fafida is in at the moment. Um, Still quite high. Not not as quite as high as Tino, but he's definitely quite high, that's for sure. Mm, okay. Yeah, it wasn't coming up. I'll, to, I'll look at that. You just talk about him and you speaking to him about why you think that uh, maybe why, why he'd be someone that you potentially would pick or wouldn't pick. Look, I, I mean, I think right now a lot of people picking him uh, are doing it off the back of, you know, the highlight reels, right? He's one of those highlight reel players. Uh, when he retires, he's going to have one of the best YouTube compilations going around. But the fact is it, he's not a workhorse and he's never going to be one of the hardest working edge back rowers. I think that's that's pretty clear from what we've seen so far. Like you look, you compare like a David Fafita to the likes of Ryan Madison or, or Angus Crichton, you know, they're, they're pumping out almost 15 to 20 points more in base each week because they just get stuck in and do the work. But they don't, you know, they're never going to score the solo try that, that Fafita can score. Actually, no, I lie. Angus Cratton did score a try very similar to the one Fafita did for the Broncos. But yeah, look, overall, like Fafita's going to have far more highlight real plays where he'll score 40 super coach points in one go. But he's more likely to drop a 40 point game where there just wasn't much happening and he didn't go looking for the ball. So that coupled with the fact that I just think. I'm always a little bit hesitant to pick a guy in a new team. He's going to have a new half. There's probably going to be a bit of time for them to gel and form combinations. And we've actually seen Fafita get a little bit hurt. Um, I know it's a very small sample size, but he missed 11 games last year from, I think, two separate injuries. So I'm not saying that's a trend or anything like that, but he's certainly not shown himself to be as durable as, say, like a Payne Haas or something like that so far. So just having a look at it now, so he's the 24th most owned player, 22% uh, ownership, and then uh, Tino at 47%. So um, certainly still one of the more um, popular players. Just flicking through these um, the top rankings, I was surprised to see uh, TKO at uh, at 36. Uh, that surprised me. And also Dave Fusatua at 42. I thought he would have been a bit higher, more higher ranked than that. As well, but um, there's all your usual suspects at the top. Plenty of Broncos, which is surprising, mate, given how poorly we're going to go this year. But anyway, um, Jamal Fogarty is the next guy on our list. I think, believe that he's taken on the goal kick this year, so um, they could see his value uh, increase just on that alone. And he impressed quite a lot last year, coming up from Queensland Cup and, and performing really well. Can you see him taking um, the step to the next level? I know we've spoken about. A Brimson or a few other guys, but can you see uh, Fogarty really jumping into, I wouldn't say the elite super coach, but into um, someone that you'd be very comfortable with having in your side, much like maybe a, a Luai last year? Yeah, look, I, I really like Fogarty. He's, um, he's been named captain, I believe, of the Titans, which speaks a lot to how well regarded his teammates have uh, and, and obviously the team, ha- uh, how much regard they have for him. So I just think what we saw in the second half of the season, like the last nine, ten games, he really stepped up. So for someone like Jamal, who spent a long time in, in reserve grade and finally got his chance, and yeah, look, at times it, at the start of the season, he just he's trying to. I think he was just trying to find his feet, get used to what he was doing. But once he realised what the role he had was, and uh, I think it coupled with a bit of an easier run for the Titans, but. I just think that that all came together at the right time for him. He just, I think he finished the season averaging about 63 from those final nine, 10 games, which I mean, I'd say it's, it's a smaller sample size, but that's still half a season from last year that he averaged 60 plus. So add on the fact he's got goal kicking now. Um, even if he's not going to come out and be a 60 plus average without the goal kicking, like it, let's say he comes out and he's averaging 50, like you're not paying for a 50 average is you're paying for a, f- or paying for a 49 average plus now he's got goal kicking. So I think, yeah, I, I'm, I'd be happy to to roll with Fogarty as my backup halfback and he's in my team at the moment. Yeah, someone that I'm definitely looking at, I think I raised him on, on our chat a couple of weeks ago, is just someone that that um, um, that is, is certainly uh, coming into consideration for me just because of the, the lack of options behind Cleary at, at halfback. Um, and depending on again what happens in teams teamless Tuesday and what the other options are, um, you know someone like a, a Fogarty at that price range of 430k is definitely an option. I think particularly given that we're expecting the Titans to improve this year, um, ownership around about five percent now as well. So definitely a pod uh, and a player that um, you know could surprise a few 
um, come the first few rounds of the season. Another player that I'm really considering putting into my side um, and um, and a guy that did uh, show patches of brilliance last year and, and also super coach wise was uh, was really good. And if you have a look at the games, he played 80 minutes last year. Brian Kelly averaged 65 points per game. He's priced in an, at a 56 average, so he comes in at a really affordable price. And, and I always like looking for these guys every year that um, – um, potentially can take that next step up to be um, to join the likes of a Nofo or those guys up around that 600 plus mark in the center wing. Because I mean, I'm sure you're fully across it, but it's it's that one position that is just so unpredictable each year, and and um, every year we see the top five center wings change. So he's a guy that I'm pretty keen on. Um, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, look, I really like Brian Kelly. Um, we saw his talent last year. I feel like. And it's easy to forget, but he started the season coming off the bench and playing on the wing. And, you know, he, he eventually nailed down that left center spot. And I felt like he and Ash Taylor really formed a bit of a combination there. And yeah, look, by the end of the season and, and that 65 average, that includes a three point game in 11 minutes when he got hurt. So it's actually like something close to like six, 67.4 or something thereabouts. But, you know, he's just a tackle busting machine. He just made so many runs for them. There were games where, in, in terms of his base and base attack, he was hitting sixty plus, uh, and, and and then you like he was going over sixty without scoring tries. So that's incredible for a center wing to be able to do that. I so yeah, look, I genuinely feel he could be a top five, top six center wing, if not higher. Again, especially if the Titans go as well as they do. So I don't mind a lot of people taking the flyer in and start the season. I don't mind it at all. The only question mark I will throw up there is obviously. Last year, he was pretty much their only gun in the back line, right? So they kind of had to rely on him a little bit like Nofo for the Tigers last year. Whereas, I mean, you've got real weapons in the forward pack this year with Tino and David Fafita. And like, I just wonder if the ball's going to go right a little bit more towards Fafita or if it's going to just, you know, crash down the middle because Tino's just crushing guys in the middle of the park or whatever. That's the only question marks I'll throw there. And that's a very narrative base. So, um, you know, I don't mind anybody who's going to take the punt to start with Brian Kelly. I totally get it. I mean, the two guys that I'm looking at that potentially can take that step into the top five uh, for me is a Valentine Holmes and a Brian Kelly, and they're priced pretty similar together. So Holmes is priced at 13th, ranked 13th, and then Brian Kelly is uh, as 15th. And then obviously the top, you've got Nofo, Brent Morris, Tupo, uh, Lomax, and Mansour as well. So I think that definitely um, there's there's room for movement there. Um uh, even Nofo is no guarantee to be the, um, the the number one center wing or top five. It's just so unpredictable, uh, despite how well he played last year. Um, who knows what's going to happen with the Tigers? They've got a few new players. Um, and they've got Roberts and a couple of other guys that might change the dynamic there a little bit. Um, so, yeah, so I, I always try to do that every year, maybe pick one guy around about that price. So Kelly or Holmes for me. Uh, maybe the ones if if there are enough rookies that I'll, I'll probably be landing on at that center wing. Who would you pick out of those two? I I think I would pick Kelly. He's just a little bit cheaper than Val Holmes. I'm just uh, and maybe it's just because I've been a little bit spooked with all the chat about Holmes. You know, he wasn't even locked into the fullback spot uh, up until. I mean, I think he did it at the last trial when. I mean, I think he played played wing for the first half in the trial and then came out in the second half and he's. I think he set up like two or three tries or something uh, crazy, and, and obviously put the Broncos to to bed. Well, I think that I think there's a report out today that he scored something like ninety Super Coach points. So in most of that in the half. second half, yeah, yeah, I think seventy seventy five points in one half or something like that. So you know, certainly that that potential's there. But the fact that it took until the trial for him to nail down that spot is a little bit concerning for me. So I think you know someone like Kelly, and I like the Titans draw more. Um, so I think that's that's where I'd lean. But, I mean, for me, I actually have Brian Toro in there instead of those two. Yep. So. Understandable. Yep. Well, I think, yeah, Toro is another one that I think can step up and take that uh, top five. Uh, and also Bradman Best that's just outside of the top five this year. I can definitely see that when Ponga is back, he could be close to the number one center wing in the game. Uh, he's got the game for it. So we'll see what happens. So it could be a fun little exercise that we can maybe run in our chat, mate, to see um, who can try and pick the, the top five center wings for the year and, and how close we are. And maybe there'll be a stake on the line at the end of the season or something. 
Oh, I'm always up for a steak bet. Count me in. You, you are looking forward to to one with you next Saturday, mate. That'll be good. Um, now, a guy that I, I'd noticed in your write up that um, I think you might have even had like a, a like a thumbs down next to his name after the performance that he had last year. He was really one of the tight standout players and a fantastic super coach option was um, Fodawaka. And um, you, you're not that high on him this year. No, and this is not because I don't like the kid. I think he's great. He's a really, really exciting prospect, um, and and he's also a Queenslander, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm all in. They're all Queenslanders, mate. Doesn't matter where they they are born. They're all Queenslanders. Well, I, I think the problem is, is you know, there's another Queensland origin forward now in his team, uh, and it's not Jared Wallace. It's <laughs> Big Tino. So that his arrival, I think, throws a lot of cold water over Fodawaker and what he did last year, and. The main thing is he he averaged 58.2 minutes and I just can't, looking at the pack, right, I just can't see where he gets 58.2 minutes again. And Fodawaker, he scored really well, you know, to average pretty much 60. And the thing is, like most of his, if you look at his scoring, right, he actually averaged 61.1 points per game from his 59.4 minutes per game or thereabouts, right? But so the only, the only reason he didn't average 61.1 is because he when you take away his errors and penalties and things like that, that's why he's dropped it down. So basically without his, like the, he has barely hardly any um, attacking stats in there. So I think he, even even with like um, tackle bus and offloads, there's hardly anything there. So he's really, even though it doesn't look like it on the field, on his stat sheet, he's very meat and potatoes. So he needs the minutes basically. From, from what he's demonstrated so far. I mean, this might change if he suddenly develops an offload and he starts busting more tackles and stuff like that. But until I see that, um, I'll be giving him a bigger void. I can't see him getting more than 45 minutes at best, which is a big 15-minute drop from what he got last year. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly got a lot more competition th- um, this year. Last year, you had the likes of Boyd and, and, and Co. that were... Um, they weren't wanted in the first grade side, and he was the one that was a lot of minutes fell onto to his shoulders, basically. And um, and this year they've recruited extremely well, is what everyone has spoken about. So I, I agree with their, all your points. Um, well, that's it, mate. We've covered all the teams there. I think uh, all the, the teams of the NRL, but four uh, tonight. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to, to add or say before we close out? No, just that I can't wait for next week. We have less than one week to go. This time next week, we'll be watching the footy. It's amazing, hey? Just had a look at, um, open up the Supercoach website now and six days, 21 hours to go. So that'll be interesting. And uh, we've also got a pretty cool little draft comp coming up as well where um, we'll be announcing some winners over the weekend to joining myself and Wilfred and a couple of the other guys in a um, in a draft league um, that'll be with all the, the NRL Supercoach talk uh, contributors. So that should be a bit of fun. Um, but yeah, mate, um, I'm sure I'll speak to you over the next day or two anyway. And thank you very much for, for coming back onto the, uh, the, the SC Talk podcast. You're always welcome. Cheers, mate. It's always a pleasure to be on. So thanks for having me. Awesome. All right, guys. Thank you very much. And next time we speak to you, it'll be Teamless Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 